0: Yo, Phillies Nation! Welcome to the Phillies Nation podcast, episode number 42. I'm Tim Malcolm, the host, also the editorial director of philliesnation.com. Go there today for all of your Phillies news, rumors, information, opinion, and much more. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash philliesnation. Find us on Twitter at philliesnation. Find us on Instagram at philliesnation underscore. Go to Apple Podcasts, or SoundCloud, or Stitcher, or Spreaker, but go to Apple Podcasts and find the Phillies Nation podcast. Give us a five-star rating. Give us a good review. Tell us what you think. It helps us build up the audience, and while you're there, check out Playing the Rube, our other podcast at Phillies Nation, where myself and Dan Walsh take on the role of general manager of the Phillies starting in 2009. And uh, we have a lot of fun doing it. Just just listen to it. Have, have you know, get, get involved. See what it's all about. We're going to do some things with it coming up. I'll, I'll talk more about that on that podcast. But check out Playing the Rube while you're there. And of course, the Phillies Nation podcast comes out every week on Mondays. Every other Monday, it's a mini cast, And then every other Monday, uh, otherwise, it is a full podcast. And today is a full podcast. Talking about a really good Phillies team. 14 and 7 doubled up on their losses. 667 baseball, one of the top teams in the National League so far this year. Riding great pitching, subpar hitting, but the hitting, there's more to it than you think. And I'll be talking with Matt Galb of the Athletic, theathletic.com. We'll be talking about this hot start, how the Phillies are doing on the mound, seeing the great performances from Nick Pavetta, Vince Velasquez, especially. Matt wrote about those guys about a week and a half ago, and you'll want to read that piece on theathletic.com. You could get a subscription today. It costs like the price of a cup of coffee, I think. Like once a month, you get a cup of coffee. That's your athletic subscription right there. Once a month, the price of a cup of coffee. So you should subscribe today. It's really great. You'll get Phillies coverage, you'll get Sixers, Flyers, Eagles coverage, you'll get coverage of the rest of Major League Baseball. Writers for every team, you'll get coverage of other sports, I mean it's really insane, Jason Stark is there, I was hoping to get him on the podcast this week, but he just so busy, Jason is doing the athletic, he's doing baseball, uh, uh, he's doing um, He's doing the LB Network I should say, and then he's doing this thing for stadium where he's uh, telling his stories, it's really amazing stuff, uh, and great for Jason to get back on the schneid like that this season, But we'll have Matt Gelb on the show in just a few, talking about this hot start from the Phillies. And I apologize, I was hoping to get the podcast up last night, usually goes on Mondays, but I uh, had a very busy day yesterday, and I got home and I was just sick. I didn't feel good. Uh, I was very sick yesterday, so I'm I'm still recovering, but I definitely um, was just not in a place to to get a podcast up last night. But we are here now. And the Phillies are 14-7, and playing good baseball, mostly off the strength of the pitching staff. And we'll go over some numbers really quick. Of course, we like to talk about Nick Pavetta, 1-0 this season. His ERA is 2.57. His FIP, Fielding Independent Percentage, is 2.28. His weighted FIP is 3.13, which is still very good. He is one of the best pitchers in baseball in the young season. I mean other than anybody who's on the Red Sox or Astros, I would say, because <laughs> their pitching staffs are pretty darn good. But Pavetta has a strikeout per nine of 9.0, a walk per nine of 1.29 per, oh, uh, per nine, excuse me, and a and a home run per nine of .32 per nine. He gave up his first home run of the season on Sunday. Uh, it proved to be inconsequential because the Phillies did come back and win that game in extras. But Pavetta has been pitching extremely well, and this is something I want to highlight with Pavetta, but also with Ben Lively and Vince Velasquez, the back half of this rotation. Nick Pavetta's batting average of balls in play, BABIP, which measures you know anything other than the strikeout and the walk, right, or or the or the ball that goes over the fence for a home run. We're talking about balls that get in play into the field. What is the batting average of balls that are hit into the field? Nick Pavetta's batting average of balls in play is 307, which is kind of high considering he hasn't given up too many hits this season and very few extra base hits. But go even further Vince Velasquez's batting average of balls in play is 371, and Ben Lively's leads the majors among all qualified pitchers 385. What does that tell you? It tells you that they're giving up. A lot of hits when the ball gets through. But think about it. Pavetta, Velasquez especially, they don't give up a lot of balls in the infield or outfield, right? They're not really giving up a lot of balls. So when you think about Babbitt and how it relates to Velasquez and Pavetta, the conclusion here is that you have two pitchers who are keeping the ball at the plate, whether they're striking out hitters They're walking a couple hitters here and there. Velasquez's walk per nine is 2.11, which is low. But you'd expect him to walk some guys, right? They're not giving up too many hits. And the hits that they're giving up, well, she said they're not giving up too many batted balls. And the batted balls that they're giving up get into the field for hits more often than other pitchers in the majors. So what does that tell you? It tells you that these guys could probably be better this year. That Velasquez, with his three seventy one Babbitt, is giving up probably too many hits on those batted balls. Same thing with Pavetta in a 307 batted. You'd expect that to come down a little bit. Typically a normal batted is around 270, 280. Could be higher. I mean, Pavetta's has had a high one over his career. But it's very encouraging to see that these guys are keeping the ball at the plate. And the defense should only improve this season. Yeah, they've had some shaky moments defensively, and look, the shift has played a hand in either hurting or helping them and it's likely that the shift has hurt them a couple times but it's likely the shift will help them later which is why BABIP is measured because BABIP tells you sort of how extreme pitchers can be sometimes in things that they can't control and what you hope is that the BABIP normalizes so if Velasquez is at 371 You're hoping that that BABIP is going to come down into the 270s at some point this season, which means far fewer balls that are hits when they're hit off the bat. So all that to say Velasquez and Pavetta are pitching extremely well. Ben Lively's BABIP is 385. Now, he's not had a great season. His ERA is a 4.64, but his FIP is only a 369. So what we're seeing from the BABIP here is that Lively has probably given up a couple too many of those base hits, Maybe a double that could have been caught by, say, Reese Hoskins, or or a better fielder, I should say, has instead been hit toward Reese Hoskins. Something like that, right? Lively maybe isn't getting the best defensive uh, play behind him when the balls are hit, because he does give up more hits than Velasquez and Pavetta does. But what we're seeing here is Ben Lively's probably going to be a little bit better too. All in all, the Phillies' rotation has been exceptional. These guys have uh, really just... You know, stayed in games, six, seven innings apiece. And actually, Aaron Nola, who only has a 6.89 strikeout per nine at this point, could probably stand to be better. Um, His FIP right now is 3.43. And his BABIP is only 217. So there's the difference, right? Where Aaron Nola is giving up more batted balls than typical because his strikeouts are down. Those batted balls are finding gloves more often. So you'd expect that the bad bit will come up at some point, which would bring up his ERA. But you also expect that the strikeouts will go up too because they have not been up yet this season. So hopefully our Nola just kind of normalizes into what he is. He's still very good, but uh, he'll probably normalize into uh, what Nola is. A great strikeout pitcher who gives up the occasional hit or two, but is relatively just elite level. And then you have Jake Arietta, who but Jake Arietta has been really solid at keeping the ball on the ground this year. Arietta currently has a 65.2% ground ball rate, which is absurd. It's not going to be that high all season. But that's fantastic. I mean, we were worried about going into the season if Arietta had lost a step or two, strikeout stuff that the breaking pitches weren't going to be what they used to be, that he'd lose some velocity. What he's done instead is just decide, I'm going to be a good ground ball pitcher, still have a good strikeout rate, 8.15 per nine in his first 17 innings. So Arrieta is starting out extremely well. He dominated the Pirates on Thursday night. It was great to see him just be in his groove. It was one of the first times in a long time that I was watching a baseball game, and I felt absolutely no trepidation watching the game. I never at once felt, oh no, something is going to happen that's going to hurt the Phillies here. I was fully confident in Arietta's ability to get hitters out, and he certainly did that. So the Phillies rotation has been superb, obviously, and uh, you just have to be extremely excited about what these guys are doing already. Of course, it's early, and of course, we've seen so much good play from the pitching staff that you'd imagine that things will regress a little bit, but the hope is that they don't regress too much that Pavetta is a better pitcher than he was last year, that Velasquez has, <clears throat> excuse me, has found something that is getting him to go deeper in games and be more confident in his pitches. Again, I talk with Matt Gelb, and we'll talk later on about how Velasquez has seemingly just been more confident, thrown more strikes, and that's been the key to him, whereas Nick Pavetta, yeah, he's a better pitcher than we all kind of thought he was last year or what he was last year. And it's finally showing, and he's attacking, and it's working. Philly's bullpen, meanwhile, there have been up and down moments, but you got to really like what Victor Arano has done. He was brilliant over the weekend in the Pirates series. 10 innings, 10.1 frames for Victor Arano. What can you say? ERA of zero, a FIP of 1.63. Strikeouts per nine, 9.58. Walks per nine, 1.74. This is a guy who last year we thought was going to be a pretty good reliever at some point in the future. Maybe the best prospect reliever in the camp last year. Well, now he's making it happen in the show. Good to see him. Eduber Ramos has been really solid. Nine innings this season, 0.96 ERA, 11.57 walks per nine. These are really, really low sample sizes, so things will change. But it's really good to see these flamethrowers who are in their 20s, who are in this bullpen, really do their work. Luis Garcia has has really steadied the ship after a tough start. Yaxel Rios has been really good in his seven innings of play. Phillies did make a move. Tommy Hunter is back with the team. He pitched over the weekend in a really good frame against the Pirates. Going down to AAA was Hobie Milner, who was optioned. Milner did not start the season very well. 4.2 innings. He had an ERA of 7.71 just not good walk per nine 5.79 he was not getting lefties out which that's what he's got to do and he did not do that so milner is now in the minors hunter is back pat Nishak will be coming back pretty soon he's starting to make his rehab starts you gotta you gotta wonder who that guy will be who goes down instead uh when Nishak comes back i would put my money if there was anybody to put my money on i would probably put it on drew hutchinson who hasn't been used too much and has been sort of a long man But the Phillies have enough pitchers in this bullpen to sort of make it work without a long man. Maybe the other guy that they bring down is Yaxel Rios, but Rios has pitched pretty well. Maybe he could use more seasoning. I don't know if that's true, but I'd say it'd be between Hutchinson and Yaxel Rios for that final bullpen spot once Nisha comes back. Meanwhile, the Phillies made a minor move on Monday that is very repetitive. Um, Trevor Plouffe, is that how you pronounce it? Plouffe, Plouf, Plouffe, Plouf, was signed to a minor league deal for the Phillies. And, uh, he's someone who had a lot of success a couple years back with the Minnesota Twins. He became their everyday third baseman and was actually in that role for three seasons. Over those three seasons in Minnesota, wasn't necessarily a, a, a fantastic player or anything like that, but, uh, he at least held up his end of the bargain there. Over those three years, he had 252, 315, 418 for the Twins, 50 home runs, 97 doubles. So he does have some gap power, some extra base hit power. All in all, decent hitter. Plays mostly third base, but he could play multiple positions. And again, this is something that the Phillies have very much been in front of getting guys who are flexible and can play all those positions. He could play third base. He could play first base. He plays outfield, both left and right field. He's played that in the past, also second base and shortstop. He played shortstop when he was with the Twins back in 2011. I don't expect him to really play much of that in 2018. But for the most part, we're talking about a corner outfielder, third base, that kind of thing. And I wonder how that fits. I don't know what the Phillies are thinking. If they just want depth in Lehigh Valley, that might be the most important thing, and that's what they're using blue for. But I guess it's possible that they're looking down the line and seeing, well, if one of these young guys isn't quite ready and maybe we jump the gun, maybe we bring that guy down to Lehigh Valley, I don't see that happening. I mean, yes, people are clamoring for J.P. Crawford to be sent down to AAA, but J.P. Crawford has played fine. Now, okay, the hitting, the batting average has not been tremendous, obviously. We know that. But he does a lot of things well. Case in point, you go back to Cesar Hernandez's three-run single back on Thursday, and J.P. Crawford just unbelievable base running from first base running with the pitch going hard the whole way and scoring from first base that is exceptional work you gotta like when a guy can do that yeah Crawford hasn't had a great start to the season 185 241 333 I mean those numbers are bad obviously strikeout percentage of 26.7 but he gives you a lot of energy and he's someone that has Gotten better and better as he's gotten more comfortable, both defensively and offensively. He had the really good week two weeks ago against the Rays and the Reds, and he played okay against the Pirates. I don't expect him to go anywhere at this point. The other one is, of course, Scott Kingery, who has become sort of a subject on Philly Talk Radio about how position flexibility might be ruining his offensive ability. Not true. And I talk with Matt Gelb about that later, and he agrees with me. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Kingery has cooled down quite a bit, 229, 295, 414, 26.9% K rating, or K percentage, and 7.7 walk percent. So, no, those aren't great numbers. But Gelb says this later, and I, again, agree with this. Kingery, when he came up to Lehigh Valley last season, had a hard time with strikeouts, and he was not perfect starting out. But there's a lot of things that Kingery gives you that are just stupendous. Right now, he's worth .5 wins above replacement. His defensive uh, wins above replacement, really good because he can play all those positions. And he does them well. And he's got a great base running number. Fangraphs base running score has him at 1.1, which leads the Phillies quite a bit. And second place is Odubel Herrera at .4. Kingery does a lot of things really well. He's a good player. And as much as you want to think that the position of flexibility hurts, it doesn't because he's a 24-year-old Major League Baseball player who's been in those stressful situations before, and he's good, and he's shown it multiple levels. I don't think it'll be a problem. If in mid-summer he's really scuffling, or J.P. Crawford's really scuffling, I think that's something to revisit. But both of those guys, you can't touch them at this point. But I do think the Trevor Plough move is interesting because, again, I'm saying his name different ways, But it gives the Phillies options in case they need to get into that well when the time comes. So a good pickup. He could be something a little bit off the bench necessarily if he comes up at any point this season. But at the very least, he does give the Iron Pick some depth. And that's good enough for me.
1: So now I'll bring in Matt Gelb of The Athletics. Of course you can read him at theathletic.com. Uh he writes about the Phillies uh with a great team of writers there and I'm sure it's uh really nice to write about the Phillies right now, uh which is something we haven't said in quite a while. Uh Matt, welcome to the podcast. Thanks
2: Tim and they are certainly providing uh interesting material. They are they are a very compelling team right now.
1: Yeah, in a lot of ways really this is not just like, you know, I, I think back to two thousand and I think sixteen when they got off this pretty decent start. And a lot of it was the bullpen was just sort of gritting out a lot of one-run games, and it seemed a little uh, like it was going to fall apart at some point, and that obviously did. Uh, but this team has a lot of sort of – there's a lot of indicators on this team that, that are kind of pointing in the right direction. Uh, you've heard about uh, quite a few of them. But before we get there, I guess, what, what's the what's the general tenor in the clubhouse? What are the guys – you know, how loose are the guys right now? How are they feeling? Obviously, a bunch of young guys playing this well and having this much success can't hurt for them.
2: Yeah, I think there's a lot of confidence. I think there's confidence because, you know, they have taken care of business against, you know, the weaker portion of their schedule, but they have done it uh, in an unexpected manner. You know, I think everyone around this team and, and everyone who follows this team expected them to hit, you know, and, and they haven't really hit. I mean, they've been doing this with pitching and specifically starting pitching, and I think that's given them a lot of confidence because this team knows they're going to hit they know they have a talented lineup. They are a very athletic lineup. They are a young lineup. They're going to score runs. I, I think that's pretty clear, even though they haven't done it in the first 21 games. And I think now they sort of have gained that confidence that even when they're not clicking on offense, even when a couple guys are, are, are not playing their best, they can win some of these games that, you know, maybe we thought they weren't going to win, and, and those toss up games, you know, who knows? I mean, like, maybe these are the differences of in September. I mean, I think it's odd that I'm even saying that. You know, I, I still don't think there's uh, going to be a playoff team. But, you know, look, I think, uh, you know, they've, they've made us think a little bit differently about uh, the, the total talent of this team, and I think that a lot of that comes from from the way the pitching is performed to start the season.
1: Well, you, you just worried about the offense actually yesterday, and we'll get there. I want to start with the pitching, as you talked about, because it is what's been carrying this team so far. Um, You had a really nice piece a couple days ago about how the Phillies are basically following this blueprint that is helping them out uh, this year, and it kind of boiled down to sort of attacking and taking advantage of hitters' weak spots and just using all the information. Uh, I guess the first thing is – it made me question what was happening previously with this team uh, is is it it seems as if like all of this information they're getting is new to them or maybe it's not new to them I, is this like such a change from last year and the years before that are, are guys getting information that they haven't gotten before or is it just the teaching of of that information has been clearer and they're taking it more to heart what what's the difference between this year for this group of guys and years past
2: I think they're getting a lot of the similar information they got last year. I just think they're they're stressing some of the smaller things this year. And last year you had so many bigger problems. And, like, Nick Cavetta, you're not going to start drilling down to the granular things with Nick Cavetta last year because, honestly, you're just trying to get Nick Cavetta uh, through five innings in a major a game. And, and he had a lot of trouble doing it. And I think now, you know, he has that season under his belt. And Falasquez has more time under his belt. Ben lively. not a rookie anymore. He's got time. himself. They can start to, you know, put a little more on these guys' plates. You know, I, I think they've started, you know, certainly there, there is a there is a greater focus this year on opponent's slugging percentage and where specific hitters are, are best at slugging the baseball. And they're trying to get away from that. And it's a very basic idea. It's not like a revolutionary idea. You know, a lot of teams do this, but they've, developed a really good plan, and the pitchers have executed their pitches. You know, I mean, look, the, the reason why the Stars have succeeded is because they have not given up extra base hits. I mean, they've only given up a handful of home runs.
0: Uh, they've kept
2: the ball in the ballpark. They are fine getting beat on a single. That's why they've been shifting a lot. That's why they've been pitching to the shift. If somebody beats them the other way on a shift for a single, they'll be it. <clears throat> I mean, they're trying to pitch away from a, a, a hitter's slugging percentage and it has worked so far, and you can plan all you want, but you need the pitchers to execute. And those guys next year, they've thrown strikes. Nick Favetta has walked four guys in 28 innings. Nick Velasquez has walked five guys in, like, 21 innings. I mean, this is remarkable. I mean, these are totally different pitchers right now. Yeah, I,
1: it's it's really cool. And you wrote about those guys, Valeska and Favetta, uh, specifically a few weeks ago, or about, about last week or so. Um, and you mentioned the slugging percentage, which yeah, it's it's pretty amazing how they've given up very few extra base hits. And Pavetta, who gave up so many home runs last year, is just this, is a very different pitcher. And you know, one thing that I looked at last year that he was really having trouble against was he threw his fastball against righties, and was getting clocked. The slugging percentage, I think, for his fastball against righties was, like, Jim Carlos Stanton's slugging percentage, which is clearly terrible. So, this year, it's changed remarkably, and he's only got a 267 slugging percentage uh, with his four-seamer against righties. Is it mostly that high fastball he's just trusting that he's got really good velocity, and he can get that movement up, and guys are going to go after it? Is that really the thing there with him?
2: I think it's two things. I think it's the high fastball, and I think it's his a curveball down in the zone, it kind of created this south uh, uh, kind of plane where you know you he can he can change your eye level with that high fastball, and it's an elite fastball. You know, get swings and misses with that fastball when it's in the zone. Now, you know when it's up in the zone, and he's getting guys chased really good. But he's also been throwing that curveball, especially to righties, He's a slider, which kind of looks like a curveball sometimes uh, to righties, and he's changing their their, their eye level you know, he's getting to think down the zone, he's getting to think up in the zone, and it's hard for a hitter to cover uh, you know, both of those areas and I think that's why he has had more success against Brady. The secondary stuff has just been better, you know, and, and he's more confident in it. You know, he's throwing it in counts that he probably wouldn't have thrown it in last year. Uh he you know, again, you try not to rush the judgments based on five star twenty eight innings and you know, not exactly fixing the greatest of lineups but you also look for, for tangible things that say, like, this guy is a different pitcher. And I think we've seen some of those things with Veta. You know, the true tests lie ahead, but, you know, if you're the Phillies, and I know for a fact that they are really excited, and if you're a Phillies fan, I mean, you got to think that this guy has figured something out. And he will go through a challenging stretch. There's no doubt about that. But, I mean, the, the, the package right now is, is a really impressive one.
1: And it's still early in the year, obviously, Um but, but Brooks baseball is, uh you know, they, they tell you how much a pitcher has been using certain pitches, and uh Pavetta this year is using the four-seamer about 59.7% of the time, which is down from 56% last year. So he's definitely throwing the curveball more. That's at 24%. The slider is at 13%, which is about where it was last year. He seems to, as you said, you know, he has more confidence in the secondary pitches and, and using those uh to counterbalance the fastball, which is still obviously very good. So it's great to see him, you know, sort of take that information, utilize it, and know that he has the ability to get guys out in a different uh, variety of ways. Um, Velasquez, you know, you also wrote about him, and it seems like he's just—he's sort of saying he's just more confident this year and that he just feels better about what he's doing out there. Is it? I know in the spring he was really high about Gabe Kapler and the relationship that he was striking with him. Did he, is he just, like, a different person this year? Does he feel like he's got a lot of people behind him and he's not going to lose his job immediately kind of thing?
2: Yeah, I think that helps. I also think he's, he's throwing more strikes. You know, I think he, at times Velasquez, you know, would get into these ruts where, you know, he would get hit a little hard and then he would start nibbling. I mean, he would really start uh, worrying about his fastball just getting crushed. He didn't have any confidence in the secondary stuff. He would just try to nibble up at the edges of the strike zone. And, and opposing hitters would just sit on him. I mean, he would, you know, they would not fight on nibbling pitches, and, you know, he's got such good stuff. Like, you you would sit there, and I'm sure you've done this many times, you sit there and you watch him and say, just, you know, just go after these guys. You know, stop trying to nibble these guys. Stop trying to pitch around these guys. You have incredible stuff. Go after them. If you get hit, you know what, you get hit, but don't lose on walks. And, you know, I think he's really taking that part. You know, I, I think it's helped that, He's throwing the, you know, he's throwing his fastball a little more elevated at times. Again, that's something they've done with Pavetta. It's something they've done with Velasquez because those guys have these high spin, four fastballs that, you know, can get swings and misses at the top of the zone. And uh, he's he's confident, you know, and he's slowing strikes. I think it's it, that that's where it all starts for Pavetta, but especially Velasquez. I mean, look, you know, we, there's no doubting Vince Velasquez's talent. You know, we've questioned whether he can be a starter because he can't pitch deep into games. Well, you know, what's the best way for him to get there? And it's a throw strike. You know, he, is, he has been able to stay in games a little longer with the exception of that first start in Atlanta. Uh, he's been more efficient. He's been more aggressive. Uh, and that all bodes well uh, for the Phillies and Velasquez.
1: Yeah, 24 strikeouts to five walks for Velasquez, 28 strikeouts to four walks for Pivetta. It's really awesome to see that happen. Hopefully it continues. Um, want to kind of go to the bullpen really quick. Uh, you know, they've had sort of an up-and-down year so far, but we've seen some really good performances lately. Um, we saw Tommy Hunter come back. We saw Victor Arano pitch. Just He's been tremendous so far for the Phils. Um, but Hunter came back, and the Phils decided to designate Hobie Milner for assignment. So um, what is the decision behind that? I mean, Milner obviously has not really produced this year. He's had a tough time with walks. He has not really gotten lefties out. Is that it? And uh, I mean, it feels like you know they also have some confidence in Yaxel Rios, and obviously Arano has been very, very good for them. So is it more just Milner's has not gotten it done, and so they decided we're going to just have one lefty in the pen? Yeah. So the only option Milner to AAA, and, you know, my guess is that
2: he'll he'll be back. I, I think he will because I don't know how long they'll go with one lefty in the bullpen. It's kind of, it is kind of incredible they have a. A 13-man pitching staff and only one lefty on the entire staff. That might not <laughs> be uh, tenable. But, you know, I think, yeah, it came down to the point where Milner had one job, and that was to get left-handed hitters out, and, and he wasn't doing it well enough. And, and, look, if he's a matchup guy who can only get lefties out or that's the only thing he can really do well, then, and he wasn't doing it well, they had to make a change. And, you know, they like Hunter because uh, – they you know, they like Hunter obviously – sign for $18 million. They like him against the lefties because he does of that cutter inside the lefties, and that cutter is just an elite pitch. It's the pitch that got him $18 million. Uh, but they're not going to be matching up Tommy Hunter in the sixth inning against the lefty. I mean, Tommy Hunter is probably going to be pitching in the seventh or eighth inning, depending on, on who's, who's up. So, you know, a lot is going to fall to Adam Morgan. I expect them to sort of use Morgan differently than they've used him early in the season. He was kind of coming in in the seventh or eighth inning when there were lefties coming up. I think Morgan could come in Earlier into games now, if there's a situation that calls for him, uh, the other righties in the bullpen they don't have great split career-wise against uh, left-handed hitters, so it is something to watch. They don't exactly have favorable matchups against lefties uh, for later in the game, but uh, you know, right now I think they're just going with the most talented arms, and and Victor Rano, Yaxel Rios, and Edubry Ramos have, have pitched incredibly well, and, and those guys have deserved a chance to keep on pitching no matter who they're facing, so Milner is the guy who is sort of the odd man out, and, you know, the bullpen is a, is a really interesting place right now, because they've these guys who, you know, like the Ramoses and the Rioses and the Iranos who, you know, you weren't really expecting that much from them. You thought maybe, you know, maybe this guy could be a good middle reliever. They're throwing like set-up guys right now, and, and that's mm-hmm. in addition to Luis Garcia and Tommy Hunter and Hector Neres, who are all set-up guys, and closers and it's uh it's a it's a it's a really uh, impressive unit for them right now and they and they haven't had to lean on them either just because the stars have been pitching relatively deep into games and, and again there will be stretches where they're gonna need that bullpen. There's gonna be stretches where uh, the bullpen will go through its struggles. We saw it earlier in the season but uh you guys are throwing a lot of strikes right now. I mean even you know the Phillies as a whole have lost I think it is sixty batters. And and eight of those are intentional walks. I mean, they, they have they're <laughs> at the top. They're I think they're number one or number two in, in walks in the National League. Uh, I mean, what a change from from previous seasons, right?
1: Yeah, second in the National League walks allowed. First in the National home runs allowed. Um, second in the National League and runs allowed. Uh, yeah, just, just, just across the board, really really solid this year. And yeah, thanks for correcting me on Milner option not DFA. Um, and um, yeah, I, it's interesting with Hunter back. I mean, you mentioned that, you know, they're going to give opportunities to guys who are throwing strikes and, and playing well. With Hunter back and now, of course, Pat Neshek will be back pretty soon. He's making rehab now. Um, what's going to happen with, guy you know, like, like, Luis Garcia, who's pitching well himself? You know, he's actually kind of settled in now after having a tough start. Is there going to be a lot of changes here, or is it just going to – they're going to find some organic way of working Hunter into a seventh inning one night, and then the next night it might be, you know, Hedrabe Ramos in there, and then the next night it might be Arano in there, whatever. It's just – I mean, how are they going to figure this out?
2: I think it's an advantage for them because, really, you know, if you have – on any given night, you have three or four different guys who you trust for that seventh inning in a one-run game or two-run game or eighth inning in a one-run game, And that just works your advantage because you you may end up saving some of these guys in the long haul. You don't have to ride Tommy Hunter for three nights in a row or Luis Garcia for three nights in a row. You could ride Tommy Hunter one night, maybe maybe have him throw two pitches the next night, three pitches, who knows, or maybe not have him throw the next night because you've got uh, Victor Ronald in that spot and then Hunter comes back, 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 you know, maybe the next two days. I mean, it just gives you more options when you're managing a bullpen over a long season. You know, you're looking for ways to, to save some of your guys at times, and uh, you don't want to have to save a guy's arm at the expense of a game, and, and they don't have to do that right now because they have a couple different options. So I, I think you know, managing a bullpen is one of the toughest things for a manager, especially a first-year manager, and we saw that you know, in the first week of the season, and there have been adjustments <laughs> since then for Gabe Kassler, but the bullpen is making it a lot easier for him right now because there are a lot of guys who have stepped up and, and, you know, who Kapler can begin to trust in some of those higher leverage spots.
1: So why don't we uh, move over to the offense? And you mentioned that they're having a tough start to the year. And yeah, it, it's it's pretty remarkable when you look at the numbers because there are only three hitters on the Phillies offense who have a uh, batting average better than 242. <laughs> and that's Hernandez, a double for Eric Haskins, obviously. And, that said, it still seems like they're okay. It's weird. Like I-, I didn't realize on Sunday watching the game that they had no hit until that had got that double. So obviously the walks are helping. They're one of the you know are one of the most patient teams in the league. They I think they were leading the league in pitches per plate appearance not long ago. Um, are they? You know, how has everything changed with this team and how they get on base and how they work offense or work innings? Uh, it seems as if the hit is not as important as it used to be with this team, that they're just confident that they're going to get theirs, they're going to get on base, and at some point they're going to get all the hits that they need to get at the end of the day.
2: Yeah, I mean, in short, everything has changed. Uh, I mean, this is this is a Phillies offense that uh, it, it does not resemble any of the offenses from the previous five, six, seven years, really. I mean, this is an offense that... Uh, is happy to take his walk. It's reminiscent to me again, the production hasn't been there but it is reminiscent to me of those 06, 07, seven, oh eight Phillies who, you know, were totally willing to take the walk because they had trust in the next guy behind them that, you know, he would drive them in or get a big hit. And let's be real, the Philly Lions for the last five, six years haven't had that kind of depth. This team has that depth and these guys are willing to take their walk. And no, the hits have not really come yet. You know, they've had timely hitting you know, just enough timely hitting to win a lot of these games. You know, but in reality, the hits have not come yet. But they have gotten runners on base. And the more runners you get on base, the better chance you have of scoring. And eventually these numbers even out. I mean, I don't think the Phillies are going to hit 230 this season as a team. That's what they're hitting right now. I don't think Carlos St. is going to hit 151 this season. But he's still getting on base at a 301 clip, which is, you know, below the league average, but not too far below the league average. I mean, he's still getting on base. So, you know, let's say when he's hitting, if he, or even if he's hitting 230, you know, he's going to be getting on base at a, at a elite level clip almost. <laughs> He'd be getting on base almost like a 380 clip or 390 clip. So uh, the hits are going to come. I think that's, I mean, they, they have, I think I wrote today, they have the ten high uh, exit velocity in baseball. Again, it's just, you know, an end-all be-all stat, but, you know, logic says the harder you hit the ball, you know, generally that the likelier it is it's going to be a hit. They've hit some balls hard that haven't been hit yet, and that kind of evens out. They haven't really hit for power that much either yet. Uh, but they are hitting the ball in the air at a, a very high rate, at the top five fly ball rate in baseball. And their idea and a lot of teams' ideas, and it's been proven pretty well, is that the more balls you hit in the air, generally, you know, the more runs you are going to score. That's where the slugging percentage is found. And, uh, you know, I think they're going to – I think what has impressed me, I mean, like you said, you know, it didn't feel like they didn't have to they they they've,
1: uh,
2: been bad. It hasn't felt like they've been good. You know why? I think because this is such an athletic team. If they are they are able to score runs in different ways. I and mean, you look up and down that lineup. You know, there are guys, more guys who can take that extra base. There are guys like Cesar Hernandez who can get on base with a with a fun single. Uh, there are guys who can steal bags. I mean, they they have. They have tried to steal a lot more bases. Yeah, I think they're top five and stolen bases in the National League, which is so unlike Phillies right now, in recent seasons. And it's just a very athletic team and they can they can do different things. I mean they, they have a Tetra Andrew Knapp, who, you know, he almost he could have had him inside the park home run doing that team yesterday, but he's able to get the third base on a on a on a ball, hit the left field, did take a weird bounce. But still he's Tester. I mean, they they have a very athletic team and and uh, I think that, that has shown to I me. Mean, yeah, you know, the Cesar Hernandez free-run single, for example, I mean, you know, Jason Crawford, it was an aggressive defense by just lost. But, you know, Jason Crawford put himself in a position, he got a really good lead, he's, he's, a, he's a fast runner. Uh, he was in a spot there where they could send him, but for, you know, free-run single. I mean, think about those Phillies teams, you know, 2012, 2013, 2014. They were all to station. I mean, there's no <laughs> way that, that would happen. So, those was really yeah. you know, but you seem kind of show
1: up here. Yeah, I imagine Pat and Burrell running from first to home on anything. <laughs> Delma Young, uh, I wouldn't, I'm thinking... So oh, yeah, oh, yeah, so those guys, Delman Young, my God. <laughs> I don't want to think about those guys, man. <laughs> um, so, as you said, you know, you yeah, have the Phillies, I mean, they're third in baseball and fly ball rate right now, 38.9% behind the Twins and the Orioles. They were, I believe, in second or first place maybe last week, so... They're definitely thinking more about the fly ball. And I wanted to mention Santana, because you did write about him and the rest of the offense just uh, last night the Athletics. And he, as uh, you said, his his expected average is 123 points above his current batting average if you look at his extra velocity in long time. So, obviously, Santana's getting a lot of bad luck. Obviously, still got his approach at the plate. You now, out the moment, and I talked about last week that, you know, I think once the weather warms up and he's playing some home games at Mississippi Park, some of those balls that are just at the track in a lot of places are going to go over the fence, and you'll see the averages come up. You'll see the slugging percentage come up, and he'll get more comfortable, and then you'll see him get even more hits. Um, it's amazing looking at the story and how everything Santana seems to say is very calm and very confident, and he seems to be a really good, uh, uh, you know, he seems to be good for this clubhouse. Um, what what kind of sense do you get from Santana just about sort of his demeanor and how that's reflecting on everybody else?
2: I think it's venturing to watch because he, he's, like, he's really frustrated about his performance. And, and, okay. and I include in that story that, like, you know, the Phillies and I think everyone who can look at it, and I'm sure Santana can too, you know, that he, he has hit into bad luck. But as I wrote in that story, Dave Kapler noted that, you know, as a hitter, like, sometimes you just look up the scoreboard and you see, you know, 151, and, that, and that's, you know, that's how you judge yourself. Like, you're like, I'm hitting 151 right now. It's how the fans are judging me. It's how I'm judging myself. It, and, and it's not a great feeling. And, you know, even though he he's gotten on base and he's hitting the bad luck, I mean, I think, you yeah, know, he, he's really frustrated. He holds himself to a higher standard. But, you know, I think it's about, I mean, look, most of the, the guys are and You know, not every single one, but they're, they're really impressive at that. I mean, he he. There are very few facts where you're like, oh, you know I can't pick that that off. I mean, I don't think say that a lot about Carlos Nathan and you know, somebody actually from another team told me if you look up his career split most by month, and you know, he generally is not a, a a an early season hitter and I think mm-hmm. the cold weather is a good point to make, but his best months are June, July, August, September, uh in actually in, in, in order of best months. I'm looking at it right now, best month is July and and August, so I mean, he is he is more of a later season hitter, just uh, career trend. Uh, but you know, I think he just added sort of this this rock at, at the top of that lineup at a number two hitter, and I really like they send up number two. I, I think that's like the perfect spot for Carlos Santana because there isn't any pressure to you know pitch for extra bases right now. There's just pressure to get on base, get on base. You have a Herrera behind you, you have B. tossings behind you, you have. Nick Williams behind you, Michael Franco, Jack Henry. I think that's how all the guys in the lineup. That there's a guy behind you, backing on base. There's a guy behind you. And remember all those times last year we were talking about Bronco and how even he admitted that he felt like he had to to, to do a lot. And he had to knock in the guy because you know he was the guy. He was in the middle of the lineup. There it was his role to knock somebody in, and he doesn't have to feel that right now.
1: Yeah, so Santana's uh, April uh, split, April March split for his career: two twenty-seven, three fifty-five, four hundred nine. So he's definitely hitting worse than that right now. But uh, you know, as as the career shows, yeah, he's he's definitely colder earlier in the year, and then he sort sort of heats up later on. But the one thing that seems to remain is that on base percentage, he still works a lot of walks. He still you know makes pitchers work, and that is what you want out of this guy. At least as he's doing that, so it's good to see him do that. Um, I. I So yesterday I was in the Philly area and I was driving around and I don't know if this is just my fault because I'm even doing this in the first place, but I listened to sports talk radio and the Phillies have been on a roll. They're playing really well. Everything is great. And everybody seemed to be harping on Scott Kingery and how he plays a lot of positions and that's a problem because he's not hitting well right now. And yes, Kingery after starting out really hot has sort of, you know, come down to earth a little bit, 229, 295, 414. Everybody seems to think that he's playing too many positions. It's not how you do it in baseball. You should play one position, and the solution is send J.P. Crawford down to Lehigh Valley because he's not good. I don't believe in this one bit, but everybody's been saying this on radio. I want to get your thoughts. Is is there at all anybody in this clubhouse like, thinking anything differently about this? Is I mean, I got to believe that this team is very focused on keeping Kingery in this role and letting him flourish, and he's just a rookie, right? I don't think
2: Kingery playing a lot of positions has anything to do with the way he's hit. I mean, I think Scott Kingery being a rookie who has a total of 78 plate appearances in the majors has everything to do with the way he's hitting. I mean, look, Kingery's uh, you know, I don't think anyone would say that he was a finished product at, at Chipotle Lehigh Valley. I don't think anyone would say he's a finished product now. I mean, if you looked up what he did at Lehigh Valley, you seen the six, obviously, are the power numbers. But, you know, also, his, here it is right now. He had 58 strikeouts and 13 walks and 265 at-bats. You know, not, not a great not ratio. You know, right now, he's got 21 strikeouts, six walks. I mean, he, he has had trouble in the past you know, I think with, with getting on base, and look, it would not shock me this season if he is right around 300 on base percentage or maybe even below that. I mean, he, he is a rookie. Uh, I think he'll have trouble at times in, in the max contact parlance of controlling the strike zone. He is a young hitter. Uh, teams will start to find the hole in a and he'll have to make an adjustment. It's, it's like any rookie, I think. I don't think his, his, his positions have had Anything to do with it? I really. Yeah. I mean, I think. I think to me, it's beyond the Like with how he handles. I mean, I think they've thrown a lot at him because they know that he can handle it, and he has demonstrated that he, he he's okay doing it. Now, his defensive work at some of those positions, I think you can you can you know start to, to question. I mean, I, I don't you know I don't know how good he is on the left side of the infield. I think he, he's definitely playable on the left side of the infield, but that's that's not really where he belongs. I mean, I think it's a temporary solution. I think it's you know to get him in the lineup right now. That's that's what they have to do. Uh, is play him on the left side a little bit, but I, I you know this is the way you know if it, it, it fans are frustrated about that. I mean look look I mean just look at what the Indians and the Cubs and the Astros and the Dodgers have done the last few seasons. There are two or three guys on each of those rosters the last three seasons who have flip-flopped all around the field. Ronald Gonzalez, Brian Sample, Zach uh Jose Ramirez, Jason Fitness, uh, Chris Taylor, Cor- um, C- Cody Bellinger, you know, all those guys in those teams are guys who have played multiple positions just so they can get on the field, just so they can get other guys on the field, and those teams have won. You know, and those, those teams have done it with those guys because those guys have been able to handle it at, even at a and I think that's why they've done this with Kingery. Is it ideal? No, I don't think it is. But this is how they got Kingery in the roster. And, and, you know, what if Kingery started the year in the minors and the solution was, well, the only way we're going to get him on the team is if he can play a lot of positions. I'm sure most people were be like, yeah, yes, let's do it. Let's get him on the team. Let's okay. do it. So that's yeah. what the solution has been. And, you know, I, I think he's going to hit. I don't think he's going to be a, an all-star as a rookie. I think some of his numbers are going to be, you know, probably a, a little – uh, you know, you might be on the league as an office bench that's possible, but uh, you know he impacts games in different ways. I mean, I think you've seen it you know either on the field or on the bases.
1: uh he does some special things yeah i i i I almost didn't want to ask the question because it seems ridiculous to me as I was listening Why like why people? even talking about this right now. This is ridiculous. Well, but,
2: it's different. I mean, it's different. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah. Think, and, and, and the game, you know, I understand that. And I think, you know, if some of the stuff the facilities are doing is going to take a little bit to get used to, and some of it's not going to work. You know, and some of it they'll have to adjust. Uh, for example, the way they managed the first five games of the season, I mean, it was a joke. You know, I don't think there's any question about that. So, you know, there are things that they're they're doing that are a little different, but, uh, you know, there there's precedent. And and they've taken a lot from what the Astros and the Cubs and the Indians and the Dodgers have done, and, and those are those are pretty good models right now.
1: Yeah, well, they are. They are definitely showing uh, in a lot of ways that they are a different team than they have been over the past many years, and it's great to see all of that happen. And it's great to see the writing of Matt Gelb and his staff at the Athletic, Megan Montemuro, Ben Harris. You guys do a great job. Uh, just covering all of this and, and kind of giving us insight on what's happening uh between uh you know within the numbers and, and, and behind behind the scenes. Uh you can find him at TheAthletic.com, theathletic.com slash Philly is where all of the content is. Matt Gelb, thanks for coming on, man. Thank you.
0: Thanks to Matt Gelb for coming on the podcast. You can find his stuff at the Athletic, the dot com theathletic.com and TheAthletic.com com slash Phillies. Also, thanks to bensound.com for the music for the podcast. Now I want to start a new feature on the podcast, which we will do every week, at least during the season, where we highlight what's happening in the minor leagues, and we'll go through each of the teams that are playing and pick out a couple players that you might be interested in. I should put the disclaimer out there that it is April, and a lot of these numbers could change quickly and wildly, so don't get too worried uh, if some of these guys aren't playing so well. And don't get too high if they're playing really well, too. Kind of take these with a great assault, but it's good to see what's happening in our minor leagues. We'll start with the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs, who are 7-9 and nine this season. The guy that you probably want to know most about, at least offensively, is Roman Quinn, who, of course, can play multiple outfield positions. He's got that blazing speed out there uh, and can really change the uh, makeup of a game uh, really just with his tools that he has with his legs. So far, he's playing pretty well. 286, 355 on base percentage, and a 339 slugging percentage. So he's not hitting the ball for extra base hits at this point. He has just two of them, a double and a triple. But he struck out 11 times and walked six times, which is pretty good. So Quinn is starting pretty well here in Lehigh Valley. The biggest thing, of course, is that he has stayed on the field he is the co-leader on the team in uh, at-bats with 56, and he's not been hurt, which is wonderful. So Roman Quinn continues to uh, stay out there, and that will only help his stock. Dylan Cousins, of course, you want to know about him, power-hitting outfielder at Lehigh Valley, hitting 255 with 403 on on-base percentage and a 490 slug. So the on-base percentage is quite good, which will tell you that the walks are up, 13 of them so far. He has struck out 23 times and 51 at bat, so that's a little bit troubling, but it's actually better than someone like Jorge Alfaro in the big club. He has three home runs on the season, three doubles as well, so it's good to see Dylan taking some walks. Maybe those strikeout numbers can get down a little bit, and if they do, who knows? Maybe Cousins finds his way on the major league roster at some point this summer. Jusmel Valentin, who of course was very close to making the big club and plays multiple positions, mostly second base. Sitting 250, 391, 365 with 10 walks and 10 strikeouts, he has four runs batted in this season with a home run, three doubles, so a decent start for Valentine, who is basically getting on base at a decent clip. So good for him. And finally, Mitch Walding, third baseman, who I guess will probably stay the regular third baseman with Trevor Plouffe coming in. Walding is hitting 268, 388, 446, really good numbers. He has. Two home runs, six runs batted in, four doubles, and ten walks to twenty strikeouts. He's your consummate power hitter in the middle of that lineup with Dylan Cousins. So good for Walding at this early part of the season. Pitching wise, Zach Eflin has thrown twenty innings. He's a 4.05 ERA, fifteen strikeouts to five walks. He's been fine. Twenty hits, so he gives up a hit in the inning. Tom Eshelman, seventeen innings, rough start, 5.29 ERA. He does have 19 strikeouts to four walks. The command will always be very good there, but he's given up already 24 hits in the 17 innings, so he's given up a little bit too much contact and contact that gets through fielder's gloves. Cole Irvin has been through 15 innings so far, has a 5.40 ERA, 18 strikeouts and five walks. Again, tough start for him, uh, but he has given up a few hits, 13 in 15 innings, so more big hits than anything else for Cole Irvin. And Eniel De Los Santos, who's also part of that rotation, was acquired in the Freddie Galvis trade, 13.2 innings, 1.98 ERA, 22 strikeouts, and five walks. Really good numbers. Again, I'll repeat that, 13.2 innings, 22 strikeouts, and five walks. Those are really good numbers. So Eniel De Los Santos is someone to keep your eye on in the early going. And Jake Thompson, by the way, in 10 innings, has a 10.80 ERA with the Iron Pigs since being called back. So not a great start for Jake Thompson with the iron pigs this season let's move to double a and the Reading fight and who are struggling to start the year at 7 and 11 they are in the basement of the eastern league's eastern division along with the portland sea dogs you may have caught gabe kapler at the game on monday in Reading, sporting a gray and black fedora and black leather jacket the only person besides rocky balboa who can pull off that look and of course it's rocky balboa because i think gabe kapler knows what we like in philadelphia As for the team, well, offensively, a lot of guys struggling, starting with Cornelius Randolph, who, of course, was a top pick for the Phillies a few years back. 203, that's his on-base percentage. 153 is his average, and 220 is a slug. Those are bad numbers. Also bad, his strikeouts, 20. He has three walks. That is terrible, absolutely terrible. Uh, Hopefully, he gets it going as the season continues in Reading. Malkin Kaneo, who is a shortstop infielder for Reading, is having a nice season. 281, 343, 516, two home runs, six RBI, five doubles, two triples, 33 total bases. Leads the team by quite a bit. He's having a really nice start to the year. And Damik Tamsha, third baseman, is having a nice start as well. He's hitting 283, 405, 433. The best thing about his year so far, 11 walks, nine strikeouts. Good for Damik. Pitching-wise, some up-and-down stuff. Ranger Suarez has 24 innings under his belt for 13 ERA. He has uh, 19 strikeouts and 3 walks. Franklin Kilame, of course, one of the top prospects in the system, in 14 and two-thirds, has a 3-6-8 ERA, 20 strikeouts, 8 walks. Pretty good numbers. 12 hits allowed in 14 innings and the 20 strikeouts. So, good start to the season for Quilomay. And Jojo Romero in 14 innings has a 7-7-1 ERA, 8 strikeouts and 8 walks. Not great for him. Sir Anthony Dominguez is the only other person that you should really know about at the moment. He could make the majors even this season as a reliever. He's a 2-2-5 ERA in 12 innings, 18 strikeouts and 2 walks in 12 innings. That's good. He is on the way to making the major leagues uh, sooner than later for sure. That'll take us over to Advanced A, the Florida State League, where the Clearwater Threshers are starting out the season very poorly. 5-13 on the year. They have the worst record of the Florida State League. Not great. And there are some performances that will tell you why it's not great. We'll start with the slightly better ones. Hitting-wise, Adam Hazley started slow. He's getting himself going. 268 average, so he's hitting the ball. But it's not going for a lot. 288 on base percentage. 366 slug. He has four doubles and a home run on the season so far, 71 at-bats, so he's getting a lot of looks. Uh, he does have two stolen bases on the young season, too, which is fine. Archimedes Gamboa is probably the best hitter on the team this season, pound for pound, 267, 362, 400. He has no home runs, 5 RBI, 24 total bases, 13 strikeouts, 9 walks, good numbers early on for Archimedes Gamboa. Austin Leasty is actually hitting the ball really well, 2, 380, 436, 600 with a home run, 8 RBI, 6 doubles, and 50 at-bats, 8 strikeouts to 3 walks. And then you have the bad, and of course, Mickey Moniak has not started the season well. 191, 211, 235, 18 strikeouts, 2 walks. He has 3 extra base hits, all doubles. It's not been a good start to the season for Mickey Moniak. Really hoping that he'll pick it up as the season goes. It is his first time in Clearwater, so there is adjustment to think about. But it's also Adam Hazley's first time in Clearwater, so there's adjustment to think about there. You know, it happens. It's what it is. And we'll hope that Moniac does improve as the year goes on. still early, so there's definitely a lot of time for him. And Jose Pujols, who last year, I believe, had like 300 strikeouts, has 20 this year in two walks in 48 at-bats for the Threshers. Yeah, 20 strikeouts and 48 at-pats. He does have four home runs, though, so the power is there. He's very much a home run or strikeout guy, and that is about it. Pitching-wise, Sixto Sanchez, of course, is the big name in the Clearwater rotation. He's had just 10 innings of work so far and a 5-4-0 ERA. He has 11 strikeouts and five walks. In those 10 innings, 13 hits allowed. It is his first and second starts of the season, so plenty of time for him to get his feet under him, and he should probably thrive as the year goes on. Mauricio Llovera is also very good this year 11 innings pitched, one six four ERA, 12 strikeouts to six walks. Those are good numbers. And uh, also Bailey Falter, 3.38 ERA in 16 innings. He has 15 strikeouts and three walks, so good to see that. Uh, from a team that is having a lot of problems in the early going, there are a couple of decent performances at least for the Threshers. And finally, the Lakewood Blue Claws, who are, of course, the single A team with the Phils, are 9 and 9. They are squarely in the middle of things in the South Atlantic League. And some interesting performances out of this club. Offensively, let's look at Nick Matan, who's a shortstop. He has 55 at bats so far this year, hitting 309, 356, 545, 16 strikeouts, 4 walks. Two home runs, seven doubles, so a good start for Nick Maton. Also, Simon Muziotti sitting 304, 319, 391 with four doubles, six runs batted in on the season. He has two stolen bases. He's been caught three times, so he's running a lot. There you go. Cole Stobie, good to see him doing some things in Lakewood. 269, 269, 500. He has a home run, three doubles. Still early. No walks yet, though, so yeah, okay. On the other end of the spectrum, Yalen Ortiz, who is the highly touted outfielder who can hit bombs all the time, having a slow start to the year, 158, 250, 246. He has 25 strikeouts to five walks. He has a home run as well and two doubles. So slow going early on for Yalan Ortiz, but we'll see how that continues. Pitching wise, not a heck of a lot to talk about here, but I'll mention two guys in particular. Ramon Rosso is uh doing very well with the strikeouts, 23 of them to five walks in 15.2 innings with a 1.72 ERA. Spencer Howard has 22 strikeouts to just one walk. In 13 innings, he started three games with a 2.77 ERA. Good numbers there. So that's about it for the Phillies minor league system. A lot of performances that aren't living up to anything at this point, but there's still plenty of time. It is April, as I said. Do not take these too seriously. Of course, if your favorite player is playing really well, take it seriously. Who cares? Well, that's it for the Phillies Nation podcast this week. We'll be back next week with a mini cast. It'll be on Monday, as long as I'm not sick again. For the Phillies Nation podcast, I'm Tim Malcolm. See you then.